Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 82 of the Snyder Cut. I am Jeff Snyder, Clyder's senior film reporter, and my tummy is a little upset. You'll also hear, that's not what you're hearing, though. It's, it, there's construction outside. Uh, they're just tearing up the street and putting in new pipes and stuff. Um, so bear with us if there's any noise distractions. Uh, geez, where do we want to start this week? Because there was a lot going on. So much that it's like, I feel like I'm sitting on something that I want to talk to you guys about that's very spoilery, but it doesn't really make sense to do it this week because we already have so much comic book movie stuff going on. Um, I guess we should start with that Marvel video that they released on Monday morning. Uh, I thought it was a brilliant piece of marketing. And frankly, it's the kind of thing that, like, how is this not ready for the Oscars? Like, that is the kind of thing that should have aired during the Oscars, where it's like, are you excited to get back, you know, to theaters? Um, yeah, I just don't understand. Like, if you have that video ready to go, which it seems like it was, like, why wait a week or two to put it on YouTube? You know, why not take advantage of the, the ABC platform. I just don't understand that by, by uh, Disney or Marvel. But, um, you know, the video that they did end up cutting, I thought was fantastic. I love that they even included, you know, uh, opening night footage from uh, Avengers Endgame, you know, where, where you could see what those huge moments mean to, you know, some of these people in the audience. Not really me, but... Uh, Anyways, like a, a ton of news came out of it. Uh, we got, our, I remember we got like our first look at Eternals, right? We saw Kumail, um, Black Panther got a title, Wakanda Forever. Black, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I think that's kind of awesome. It's a great title. I mean, that that is the phrase that people came out of that movie saying, they, you know, Wakanda Forever. Um, and, and the forever of it, I think it seems to allude to you know, Chadwick Boseman and whatnot. Like, you know, the fact that he'll always be with us uh, forever, uh, you know, up on the big screen. I don't know, it, it, it's something, um, I think it, it sort of hints at that, that, that there is this loss, but that Wakanda will endure. Um, you know, again, I have no idea how they're going to explain, uh, you know, Ch Chadwick's disappearance or, or, or whatever, or, you know, his death. I don't, I don't know how that will be addressed, but uh, I, I do like that title. Captain Marvel 2 also got a title that is called The Marvels. So uh, I think, you know, it's probably going to team her up with Miss Marvel, right? She's getting a TV show. And I'm sure that you can get a bunch of better geek analysis elsewhere on, on, on the internet. But, you know, as someone who's just like a, a casual observer or fan of these Marvel movies, it's like, sure, all right. The Marvels, all right, yeah, okay. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 got a release date. It sounds like that is going to be the final Guardians movie. Um, I can't see them continuing that franchise beyond part three or without James Gunn or anything like that. Maybe, you know, they, they could give a character spinoff. Maybe there is going to be a Rocket or in group kind of thing. Um, although, you know, I, I love Drax. Drax has always kind of been my, my favorite. Um, but, you know, anyways, it was it was a... It was a hell of a way to start your Monday, that's for sure. And with like no heads up, which I do kind of uh, like and appreciate the, you know, the, the kind of just blind, blind drops. Um, THR also came in this week with an article about Black Superman. It wasn't, I didn't think there was like that much in it, but it was interesting nonetheless. It was, it was good fodder for the internet. Uh, basically, it said that, that Warner Brothers is looking for a Black director. On, on this film since it is going to be a, a black Superman. Um, and so, yeah, people started throwing out their list. They also mentioned that, that Blade is also looking for a black uh, director. And you know, so, you know, it's like they're, they're going out down the same list of people. And, and I think we know, you know, who, who's on that list. Uh, the newest edition basically is Regina King. And I think it would be interesting to see a Superman movie directed from a female perspective. Uh, I don't think we've seen that before, a, a female director on a Superman anything. Um, so, you know, I, I, well, I, I like Regi the idea of Regina King do it, doing it. I also would like to see someone with maybe uh, a visual effects background or, or some, some more experience. It's not like One Night in Miami had a lot of that stuff. Um, 
you know, I, I think J.D. Dillard would, would actually be pretty interesting. He really impressed me with Slight. I didn't uh, love the follow-up as much. Uh, Sweetheart, was that what it was called? With, uh, with Kersey Clemens. But um, he's someone I could get on board with. I think it would be cool to see, you know, Spike Lee do a comic book movie, although I'm not sure that Superman is, is necessarily the right one. Um, Michael B. Jordan seemed to, like, take his name out of the running for it. And he's kind of the obvious choice. Uh, now we know Warner Brothers loves John David Washington. I think he's a distinct possibility. Um, you know, I would have personally, like my pick would have been like uh, Aldous Hodge, but Aldous Hodge is doing, um, you know, he's, he's Hawkman or whatever in Black Adam. So he's kind of ineligible, which is really unfortunate because he just has the chest and the shoulders to, to really fill out that suit. Plus I could see him uh, being Clark Kent, you know? Uh, who else? I think Kelvin Harrison Jr. Is, is a very good choice. He is a little young, but he would do it justice. I cannot see Jonathan Majors. That's one I, I don't, don't really see him as Superman. Don't see William, like, you know, people at Collider, because I think, we, I don't know if we've actually published our, our Superman list, but William Jackson Harper's on it. I'm like, really? Like, you think that guy could be Superman? He, he could maybe be Clark Kent. He could be like Jimmy Olsen or something. I don't see him as Superman at all. Uh, I think, you know, Boyega, probably not right for it. Maybe just not, a, not, not quite um, big enough, not as like a, a celebrity or as an actor, but physically. Um, although, you know, who says that Superman needs to look like he traditionally does, right? Like you could be a guy like me and have, and have super strength and be able to fly. Uh, I, the guy who I think would be really interesting, who, who did, uh, who I thought gave the best performance in one night in Miami, and, and it would be cool to see Regina direct him is Eli Gore, uh, who played Muhammad Ali. I thought he was fantastic. Um, and he has, he has that, that build, you know? So going to be very interesting to see who Warner Brothers goes with. I do not think that they're going to go with like a complete unknown. I don't think it's going to be like a, a, a Brandon Routh type situation. Um, I think you need to have one or two credits under your belt these days. Um, so yeah, I, I think if they have a, a solid list to work with, you know? Blade, who should direct Blade? Oof, that, 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 that's a little bit of a trickier question. Um, only because, I mean, not that Superman hasn't been done before, but Blade, I don't know. Like, I, I love that, that original Blade directed by Stephen Norrington. Um, less a fan of, of Blade 2, you know, by Guillermo, and then Blade 3, Goyers was just like, not good at all. Um, hmm, I'd have to think about that. I probably should have thought about it before taping this podcast, but I think it's encouraging that, that they want to hire a, a black filmmaker for that property. And uh, I'm sure, you know, Mahershala will choose wisely. Like who doesn't want to work with him? Um, all right, we got a zillion things here. So, you know, LA Times ran a big thing about uh, ICM partners this week. They, they did a big expose on it. And while there was certainly some you know, uh, disgusting behavior in there, particularly uh, Steve Alexander allegedly exposing himself to like a film finance executive when she was giving him a ride home. Like, I, I just don't understand how this like pops into your head as like a possible idea, you know? Like who, who is doing this stuff? And how is that not a fireable offense? Like to do that in a corporate setting, which you know, okay, it may not be the, the, the office or whatever, but like you're, you're in a, a, a colleague's personal automobile. To do that, it's just, it's, fucking, it's, it's not fun. Like it's, it's, it's illegal. <laughs> it's illegal. You can't do that. Um, the problem is that the LA Times piece, it was like all over the place. You can't, like, I know you're trying to like paint this whole uh, agency with this brush, but, you know, leaving food on, a, on an assistant's desk for them to clean up or, or even like throwing a package at them because you're not sure if, if the package was meant to like, was the package thrown at this assistant's head or was it just like, you know, passed to them? 
you know, with a little bit of aggressive force behind it. Like it's, it's tough to have both these things in the same article because by the end of it, you're just kind of left reading. Well, yeah, that, that was bad at the top, but you know, the rest of this was just a bunch of crybaby bullshit. Um, now I, listen, I think like to, to focus on ICM, by the way, of all places, <laughs> like it, to me, it's just another example of like, okay, Harvey Weinstein, he, his power has been diminished. So we can go after Harvey Weinstein now. ICM is ICM, you know? Okay. They have Shonda Rhimes and Spike Lee, but in the larger scheme of things, believe me, not, not that big a deal. Okay. Where's the CAA article? Where's the UTA article? Where's the, especially the WME article, especially considering they just launched the IPO and, and, and went public and everything. Like you can't, I don't know. I just find it very difficult to, uh, to just say, oh, look at, look at ICM. Are they even going to survive this? Like, you know, they, they said agents were sort of preemptively calling clients and, and letting them know that a story was going to be hitting. What are they afraid of losing the clients? Where are these clients going to go to WME and CAA where it's only 10 times worse? I mean, you know, I, I do think that assistants need a, a thick skin. Uh, although, you know, like I, I read a, a, a friend's like, he, he wrote a little something, having uh, previously written for uh, or worked for Rudin. He was talking about the, this, this phrase, thick skin, and how it's, you know, it used to be all over the UTA job list. And, and just like he pointed to that story, I think it was in Vulture, where, where someone that was like an assistant at Rudin had left the company and was interviewing for other gigs. And they said, I'm actively looking for a job where the atmosphere is not like Scott Rudin's office. And that was it. And the interview was basically over because that's what these places want. They want someone who has been through the fire with Scott Rudin because that means that they can endure anything. They can endure the abuse. And that's, these are the people getting hired, okay? This is why I am basically a reporter because when I went out there with my shiny new NYU screenwriting degree, right? And I was in, interning for uh, Luke Greenfield or Blumhouse or Malcolm in the Middle, I didn't want to be an assistant because I knew what was in store for me. And I'm not saying that, that like, well, you know what you're signing up for, you know, now, you, now you, you know, you don't get to complain because that's not true or, or right either. But it's like, you know, the, the culture when I got out to LA 14 years ago was obviously not like the culture it is today. And it was discouraging. It was like, all right, I want I'd rather go be a journalist than endure three to four years of answering phones and picking up dog shit and picking up dry cleaning and doing the stuff that assistants do. And that's why I have such respect for assistants because they have paid their dues, uh, you know, to, to get to where they are in the industry or why I have respect for former assistants and obviously current assistants. Like it's a miserable job with just backbreaking hours for, for low pay. It's, it's why I just was always, I always thought I'm better than this. And okay, you know, I have carved out a, a place for myself in the industry. I've paid my bills writing for the last 14 years, but I haven't gotten to where I wanted to be. And it's because I wasn't willing to play that game. And, and now people, you know, that abuse is always going to be there. But um, I, obviously the game is getting a little bit easier to, to play. People are being much more aware of their, their behavior these days, particularly to, towards uh, underlings. Um, I don't know, like it, it's, a, it's a complicated issue. It, it really is because I do think that you need some of that stuff to, to sort of weed people out. Uh, again, a big part of it to me is like the type of person who can endure being an assistant. It's usually people, you know, white people for, uh, for, from wealthy families who can get by on the 28 grand a year because their families are helping them out. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, those are the people who get promoted through the ranks, right? That, that's really the issue that we have is that people of color don't get those early opportunities. They can't afford to even have those early opportunities because they need to pay the bills and a $28,000 salary for a, you know, a 14 hour day, they, they, they can't do it. They can't cut it. Um, I don't know. Like I, I kind of need to get my thoughts in order because I, I have a lot of opinions about 
assistance and and you know how they deserve to be treated i mean it's it really it's, it's out of hand in the, in the agencies and the agencies especially you know every job in hollywood it's always like we want agency experience agency experience because that shows that you can in, endure the the abuse and the long hours and just like the odd requests and things like that um, and i never had agency experience so i always felt like it limited what i could do and what i could be in this industry uh, so I, I'm glad that, that uh, you know, the agencies are starting to police themselves a little bit better, but, you know, and, and I'm glad that pieces like the LA Times piece are, are being written, but I also just think it's like, I don't know, some of it is much ado about nothing and you can't equate an agent whipping it out, you know, with, with uh, somebody's feelings getting hurt or, you know. Uh, Brad Terrell, who, who I've known for more than a decade, has always been a, a very sweet guy to me, um, you know, telling an assistant, you know, what do you work in a fucking nail salon? Like, okay, maybe that's, you know, a, a rough thing to say, a harsh thing to say. Maybe it, it, the assistant goes and cries in the bathroom, but like, I don't know, unless he, he, she's Asian and it's like a stereotype thing. I don't really see how that is like grounds for being included in an LA Times article you know like the agencies period are toxic and i don't even know how anyone can like hide behind that or or defend it um the other thing you know that i just wanted to to note for the record is there's this big thing about um you know it's, it's all it's the boys club it's it's the male agents doing this i'm telling you the female agents maybe they're not just as bad but they're bad too and, you know, I think that there's a lot of male assistants who feel like they can't complain because they're men and they have to be tough and they have to stick it out. And, and so like, I don't like that we think that all the abusers are just male because they're not. And I don't like how we think that all the victims are just female because they're not. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I look forward to reading the the, the uh, pieces about WME and CAA and UTA because believe me, ICM is hardly the only toxic agency out there. We can move on from that. Uh, Paramount Plus announced that it's going to be releasing an original movie every week starting in 2022. Uh, they also announced that Mark Wahlberg's movie with Antoine Fuqua, Infinite, will debut this June on the streamer. I don't know how you debut an original movie every week at Paramount when you're selling off half the, half the slate, right? Um, so will they not be making these deals anymore? Like, you know, if they could get $150 million for coming to America from Amazon going forward, are those deals going to be kaput and they're just going to stick coming to America on Paramount Plus where 35 million people can see it? Like that, that doesn't make business, uh, any business sense to me. Like, uh, I, I just don't understand in, in, like in investing, I get why everyone is pivoting to streaming and investing in their, in their plus service, but like, you're fucking late. You're, you're almost too late, Paramount. I, I don't want to say you're out of the game too late, but I, I don't know. Like when Netflix and Amazon are, are at 200 million and Disney's on its way to hundred million or whatever, and you're at like 30, 40 million and you're not going to grow, grow like HBO Max, I think is growing. And your big things are the Super Bowl, which comes once a year and an interview with Oprah and, and you know, fucking royal, like the royalty. I just, uh, no, you're going to need more than that. And, you know, I've thought about subscribing to Paramount, Paramount Plus because I want to see the stand. I've never, I never saw the stand show that, that Josh Boone did. Um, but it's like, I'd rather just wait. I've waited this long. Why not just wait further until I'm going to get more bang for my subscription buck? You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, Infinite is now going in June on Paramount+. Plus. I guess I'll have to sign up for that unless they send out like screeners or something. Uh, that's a huge expensive movie. Like... I mean, if they're sending Mark Wahlberg movies, like I, I get Eddie Murphy, like Eddie Murphy's not what he once was coming to America. It's like a 30 year old title. Yeah. It meant a lot to a lot of people, but like, uh, and also that was back in March. Right. Uh, 
but Mark Wahlberg is like an international global action star. This is right in his wheelhouse. You know, co-stars Chiwetel Ejiofor, Dylan O'Brien. It's got Fuqua <laughs> behind the camera, who's a pretty big director. Like, I'm just surprised that at the end of the day, and we still haven't seen a trailer, so maybe it looks terrible. You know, I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't put that beyond Mark Wahlberg to put out a terrible action movie. But uh, I don't know. I, I was a little caught off guard, a little surprised when, the, when they made that announcement today. Um, Paramount also signed a first deal with Ryan Reynolds and his Maximum Effort company. Uh, and Paramount, what else did they do this week? They did something else. It was, all uh, oh, right, Secret Headquarters, that, that big sort of family um, potential franchise starter superhero movie. I don't like, I don't know if this could be like their Night at the Museum type of thing, but anyways, they, they signed up Owen Wilson to, uh, to star and Owen Wilson, he's got Loki coming out. He's got that Jennifer Lopez movie, Marry Me. So we're getting a little uh, revival of the, the Butterscotch Stallion. He's coming, he's, he's coming roaring back. Um, speaking of like, you know, selling things off and, and uh, deals like that, Sony sent its Camilla Cabello Cinderella movie to Amazon just now. Uh, there's a movie where if you had told me to look at a studio slate of, of movies, just like everything that every studio is putting out, I would have pointed right at Cinderella and said, that's a movie that's never hitting theaters. Like, if you're not Disney's Cinderella, what are you? Um, so congrats to Amazon. Sure. <laughs> There's not a chance in hell I watch one minute of that movie. Uh, and Universal uh, acquired, sorry, sold Bios. It's Tom Hanks sci-fi movie, which is now titled Finch, a terrible title, uh, to Apple TV+. Plus. So uh, this is, you know, we joked... <laughs> In the office, it's like, does Tom Hanks does Tom, does Tom Hanks like care about anybody seeing his movies anymore? Like, this is now the second straight Apple movie for him. People don't have Apple; they don't have it. They may have it because they got a free fucking one year subscription when they bought an iTunes or an sorry, an iPhone or, or a computer. But like, then the subscription lapsed and they never like did it. They never went back. Like, I'm not saying Apple should just like give up. Uh, because I think, like, I really like what Apple has done, even even though they are about to hit a little cold streak. That's a little insider info right there. Um, so, like, I like what Apple has has done thus far with its programming, uh, defending Jacob, Little America, Mythic Quest. There's a lot to like. I liked the Mosquito Coast, um, but I just don't know if uh, it doesn't seem to be catching on. Like when I mention some of these big Apple shows to my friends. Nope. They're just like, what's that? Where is it? You know, blah, 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 blah. So I don't know. That's just anecdotal evidence, of course. I, I don't know, you know, the numbers. Apple's pretty cagey, cagier than most. But um, listen, everybody has a lot of work to do between Netflix and Amazon. Whew. All right. This was the other Paramount story. This was an interesting one that Bloomberg reported, uh, and I haven't really seen the trades um, touch this yet, but Emily Blunt and John Krasinski, Hollywood power couple if there ever was one, they are pissed that Paramount is not compensating them for A Quiet Place 2 uh, and it's moved, they, they basically cut the theatrical run in half. It was gonna, supposed to be 90 days, now it's 45 days, so a month and a half. Uh, and then it's going to debut on Paramount Plus. So, you know, what Netflix does, you know, uh, is they compensate their talent upfront for, for that lost uh, box office revenue. Um, now, Paramount is under no obligation to do that this time around. Of course, you want, you, you know, the movie business is a business about relationships. And, you know, you, you have to keep Emily Blunt and John Krasinski happy, not to mention Michael Bay. I mean, who did all your Transformers movies and he's the producer of A Quiet Place, right? So like Paramount in the end, they are going to pony up. I'm almost sure of it. But it's interesting that this even made its way into the media. Um, and that Paramount was just like also pushing back against these requests. Like, I, again, I don't know what the request was necessarily, um, and I do think that the, the talent has to be a little bit more flexible and understanding given the pandemic and, 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 and all these things. But yeah, like Emily Blunt and John Krasinski, who directed the sequel, 
Um, they, well, I mean, I guess, I guess he directed the first one too, but uh, I mean, they were like, this is a big movie for them and they were counting on a big payday. So when you're saying, okay, now the movie is, is going to only be in theaters half as long. Um, yeah, they, they, they should, probably should be compensated for that. So it'll be very, I'll be very interested to see how that um, resolves itself, that situation. Uh, John David Washington starring in Gareth Edwards' next movie. It is a sci-fi film titled True Love, set up at New Regency, which also uh, produced the David O. Russell movie that John David Washington uh, just shot or is uh, about to wrap. Um, probably a nice get for, for, for Gareth Edwards. I imagine John David Washington is in very high demand. Uh, Gareth Edwards is the director of Godzilla, so he, he's been known for making some, some big movies as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm into it. I like that pairing, actually. Uh, some, all right, some more comic book movie stuff. Forgive me. Finn Whitrock casts as Guy Gardner in the Green Lantern Corps series on HBO Max. Interesting that he's not going to be playing the gay Green Lantern character, Alan Scott, I believe. Um, an odd choice, I would say. And I think Finn Whitrock is, is okay. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed his stuff in like American Crime Story, right? He was, yeah, he was in the Versace one, wasn't he? And, um, right, Ratchet. So he's like, you know, he's like a Ryan Murphy regular. This, this role seems a little big for him, but uh, I don't know. I, I imagine he has a good relationship with Greg Berlanti. I mean, he's a good looking guy. I don't know. Is, is the casting important for Green Lantern? Um, I guess we'll find out. Uh, Uni Latukifu, excuse me, who plays young Dwayne Johnson on Young Rock has also been added to the cast of Black Adam. No word yet on whether he's going to be playing a young Black Adam uh, or a younger version of Dwayne Johnson's character or, or another character entirely. But I like to see uh, DJ throwing his, his uh, young co-star a, a bone, helping him forge a career in the industry. Amy Adams signing on to star in Finding the Mother Tree. She'll be playing a scientist whose work uh, helped inspire Avatar. And she's going to be producing this movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. So that's the, the stars of Nocturnal Animals coming together to uh, nab the, the, the rights to this book, which also just got published this week. And they're gonna be producing together. I, I really like Jake Gyllenhaal's taste as a producer. I like Nine Stories a lot. Um, so yeah, here's, you know, it'll be interesting to see who they get to direct that movie. Um, I'm trying to keep all the TV stuff towards the end of the show. Kumail Nanjiani and Andy Machete teaming for the Doubtful Guest over at Amblin. I thought that was kind of interesting. It's based on like a 14 page children's book uh, about this like peng mysterious penguin-like creature who just shows up at this like really nice home one day and kind of refuses to leave. Um, yeah, you know, it's, the, the story is a little thin since it's only 14 pages, but uh, Kumail and his, and, his, and his wife, Emily B. Gordon, who did The Big Sick and got nominated for an Oscar together, they're going to be adapting that book. And uh, I don't know, Muschietti maybe could do something interesting with that. Anything that, 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 that keeps him away from these kind of bigger properties, I like to see. Thomason McKenzie cast as Carrie Strug in Perfect. This is perfect casting. That I can see totally. Like she's very um, petite and yet there's a fire inside of her, which I imagine you have to have as an Olympic athlete like Carrie Strug was. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, and I'm glad Olivia Wilde is going to be going right into perfect after wrapping Don't Worry Darling uh, rather than doing, you know, the, the Madam Web movie or whatever that she had signed on to do over at Sony. Um, because like that, that like, you know, I thought Booksmart was, was okay. I thought it was a little overrated. Uh, it was good, a little overrated. I actually don't have the highest of hopes for Don't Worry Darling. I know everyone has that on their list of like 40 movies they can't wait to fucking see this year. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not super jazzed on it. Uh, but I want to see if Olivia Wilde can make like a real awards contender. Like, can she do a, a, a one night in Miami, like a, a prestige picture? And I do think that Perfect could be that, particularly, you know, over at Searchlight. Uh, it, it's a really good story. And um, 
I think she's got a great lead actress at, at, at uh, front and center in Thomas and McKenzie. Speaking of really talented actresses, Dominique Fishbeck signed on to join Anthony Ramos in the new Transformers movie from Stephen Cable Jr. Stephen Cable Jr. is one of the people on the Black Superman and Blade lists, apparently. Um, although I imagine he's going to have his hands full uh, doing Transformers for at least the next year. Dominique Fishback was really, really good in uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. I even thought she was good in, in Project Power. Um, and then, yeah, you know, this sort of backs up what I had said when I reported Anthony Ramos's casting in Transformers, which is that they really want to, you know, fill this out with like a diverse cast and, and um, just do something a little bit different than the franchise has done before. And I think that they're on a, a, a great, like this is off to a great start between Ramos and, and Fishback. I think those are two really talented leads. Um, and not just like, you know, hot actors of the moment who are like attractive, but are they actually that talented? Um, these two are talented. Blake Lively and Diablo Cody teaming for Lady Killer at Netflix. This is an adaptation of the Dark Horse comic. I'm not terribly familiar with it. It sounds, you know, uh, like Blake Lively proved herself as an action star in the rhythm section, which I thought was actually okay, um, particularly for a movie that had the sort of ups and downs that that movie did in production. Uh, I think she's going to be playing, you know, a, a housewife with a deadly secret, that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, you know, with armed with a Diablo Cody script, and I know Diablo Cody can be hit and miss, but I think this is the kind of thing that, that she might just excel at. And uh, I could see Blake Lively doing a, a nice job with. Taylor Page cast in The Toxic Avenger. Taylor Page was in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which will soon be seen as the title character in Zola. I'm not a Toxic Avenger guy. I'm not a Toxie. I, like, I just, that, the, the, the trauma generation, I didn't really grow up as part of it. Uh, it just always seemed like kind of schlock to me. And, you know, I, I like Macon Blair. I haven't loved the movies that he's directed or movie, uh, I guess, right? The, that's that Sundance movie. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. I, I did not care for that. That has got to be one of the worst Sundance winners along with the miseducation of Cameron Post uh, in the history of that festival. But anyways, um, I, I, I like Macon, Bear and, uh, uh, Mike, Macon Blair in general. I'm just, I don't know, Toxic Avenger stuff doesn't do it for me. But, you know, if this has really cool effects and who knows. A lot of casting stuff this week. Taika Waititi cast as Blackbeard and Our Flag Means Death. That's the pirate series over on HBO Max. He was already, you know, going to be writing or, you know, directing and executive producing that show. But uh, now he's taking a a major role as, you know, the, the world's toughest, most revered and feared uh, pirate. Uh, and Reese Darby is the lead on that show. So good in, uh, on Flight of the Concords. Henry Golding starring in Jane Austen's Persuasion. This is a little bit of a different role for him. He's going to be playing kind of like the dick, the, the cold, calculating, callous cousin of Dakota Johnson's character, who also sort of tries to strike up a little romance with her uh, and, and a couple of other people too, I think. He's not the main character. I don't even know if he's the male lead exactly, but um, clearly it's a different type of thing for, for Henry Golding, you know, rather than Crazy Rich Asians or even Last Christmas and The Gentleman and Snake Eyes coming up, like, you know, Jane, Jane Austen adaptation. I like to see some diversity in a Jane Austen adaptation too. Uh, I don't know if this, I think this is set during like contemporary times, modern times, but um I also don't know if it's like an older and like a period movie with a modern sensibility. You know what I mean? I don't know what the difference is really, but whatever. Uh, all right, we're saving the TV stuff. Hannah John Kamen cast as Red Sonia. This is one of those projects that just seems destined to lose money. Like this seems like I'm a producer. I got the rights to Red Sonia. People know the character Red Sonia. I mean, some people do. Uh, who are at least 35 to 40 years old. Um, and, and so if we have the rights, we might as well make a movie out of it. Uh, this just feels like Hellboy all over again. And Hellboy was a much more relevant character. Hannah John Gaiman, like a, a decent actress. Like I liked her in as Ghost and Ant-Man and the Wasp or 
what was that? The, you know, the Netflix show, the, like The Stranger, maybe. Um, but like, not a movie, not a movie star, not someone that you like. I mean, people like with Hellboy, they, like they they love David Harbor on Stranger Things. That didn't fucking do anything. Like, people don't know this actress. People really like. You think eighteen year olds know who fucking Red Sonia is? This is just doomed doomed and i don't think uh this is really up joey salloway's alley either yeah um salloway is uh the creator of transparent i believe uh but yeah this no red sonia can't, can't get on board this is an, and here's another uh thing masters of the universe which is isn't it like isn't there a relation to red sonia or was that conan i don't even know this shit is like from meatheads. What do you want me to say? A new, a new Conan the Destroyer, or Conan the Conqueror, Conan the Barbarian, Masters of the Universe. It's all just the same bullshit. Uh, so yeah, Noah Centennial wisely dodged a bullet, leaving the Masters of the Universe movie behind. This was just something that, like, you know, we we didn't we'd done a story about him doing that uh, untitled Netflix CIA spy thriller show, and I and I said in the story, you know, Noah's attached to play He-Man in Masters of the Universe. He's he's been attached for a couple of years. And his reps reached out and just said, hey, that's that's not true anymore. He, he left. So, you know, okay. I, I gave Sony a, a, a heads up, a polite heads up. That's what you're supposed to do. Like, I, I don't need their comments. I don't need to confirm with Sony. I don't need to get them to weigh in. I don't need that, that shit. I got an actor's rep saying he's not in the movie anymore. So here's your heads up. Notify our execs. And in two to three minutes, it's going to be on the internet. It's really as simple as that. I don't understand that the studios feeling the need to weigh in on everything, particularly when you ask them to weigh in on something and then they don't get back to you for days or weeks at a time, if they get back to you at all, uh, or they just pick up the phone and call deadline and the story that you've been tracking for a few days or a week or a month just goes to deadline because that's how the industry is designed. So listen, if there's something I'm ever, ever unsure of, I will be sure to call your studio uh, or your agency or your publicist or whoever, because I like putting out accurate information on the internet. I've put out inaccurate information on the internet before, and it's a sickening feeling, okay? I don't wanna hear, go, go to a, a premiere or a party or an event and hear everybody, oh, did you hear so-and-so's playing this or so-and-so's directing that? And I know, because I reported it, that it's wrong. You know, you know, or maybe, you know, sometimes you find out just minutes after you post, oh, you know, that, that's, that actually didn't work out, whatever. So I've put out inaccurate information on, on the internet before, only a couple of times. It's a horrible feeling. That's why I like to be right. But I also, you know, it, it's all about being first, unfortunately. So when, when you get something like that, it's not something I gave a shit about personally or was even trying to track down. But when Noah Centennial's people said, He's out of this He-Man movie and implied that they wanted people to know about it. I told my editors, it was a simple editorial decision. Like this is a, a, a standalone story on its own. This is not a update the Netflix CIA thriller article and, and leave it at that. We did update that, but we also had to do a, a solo story. I'm sorry. Like, you know, sometimes you got to take the good with the bad, you know, uh, I'm, I'm psyched for bullet train. I, I think that's a, a great project that Sony has over there but you gotta take the good with the bad. So I'm not some guy who's trying to just put out negative stories. Like maybe I did that at, 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 not even, but maybe I did more negative stories at the trades. Claire really doesn't give a shit about negative stories too much. So, you know, they're a cheerleader for the industry and that is my job. But every now and then, yeah, I'm gonna have to write some negative shit about your studio. Sorry, that's how it goes. Deal with it. Ben Mendelsohn uh, joining the Marsh King's daughter. This is the Daisy Ridley movie. It's like basically about this crazy guy who raises his his, uh, his daughter and you know with his wife um, in the woods, right? He like makes them live in the woods. Jesus. Um, sorry, noise outside. Uh, and then you know she basically she's like Daisy Ridley grows up. She gets over it, and then her father comes back into her life, and she has to really like face her demons all over again. This is another one of those things where it's like, I want to see, can Daisy Ridley act? Is she a good actress? Because I right now, I really have no fucking idea, right? I know she can hold a lightsaber up and look like a badass, but can she act? We'll see. 
Uh, ben Mendelsohn, I know can act. He's a great actor. Um, and this is an intriguing father-daughter pair. I definitely want to see this movie. Neil Berger's kind of been hit and miss as a director, but but I do think, you know, he, he's been, he's just been stuffed, you know, doing these kind of popular movies, uh, you know, kind of mainstream, more commercial things. This seems like a, a little bit of a darker indie for him, and I'm looking forward to it. Selena Gomez signing on to star in Spiral, not the Saw spinoff. Can we not come up with fucking other movie titles? Like, it just kills me. It kills, like, there's a movie coming out next week called Spiral, and you have to put out an announcement saying you're starring in a movie called Spiral as well. Uh, Drake is going to be producing this one. The story is actually pretty interesting. It follows a former influencer. How do you, how do you even like become a former influencer? Like you just stop, stop influencing. You just pack up shop, shut down the, the old Instagram, uh, a former influencer whose addiction to social media. So she's, is she not a former influencer? Uh, her addiction to social media is causing her body to literally fall apart. That is actually a very interesting type of uh, long line. And it's the kind of thing you wish Darren Aronofsky or Cronenberg would direct. I'm sure that they will get someone completely out of their uh, depths and element to do it. Um, Gabourey Sidibe making her di directorial debut. Sure, why not? Everybody gets the chance to, to make their directorial debut. And like I said, it's always great to have uh, more, more um, Filmmakers of color and, and female filmmakers of color. Um, Army of the Dead is getting a theatrical release. This is going to be the widest theatrical know, theatrical release, I believe, in Netflix's history. Um, I don't. We still don't know if AM if AMC is playing this, uh, but I think that you know, like the the smaller, like Cinemark and, and Marcus theaters or whatever. I think it's some smaller chains are already selling tickets for Army of the Dead. That's the kind of movie that I would want to see on the big screen rather than at home and on Netflix. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of like, I don't, I'm not sure what all the dates are, but it's like, you've got that movie, you've got Spiral, you've got uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead, the Angelina Jolie movie. There's a lot of stuff going on uh, in May. And plus, you know, like I said, theaters are going to be coming back into the month with Cruella and A Quiet Place too. Um, oh, Jesus. Elizabeth Olsen signing on to start in Love and Death. She, this is, uh, you know, she's hot off WandaVision. She's going to be in the Doctor Strange sequel. And so this is an odd choice. This is a project that is at HBO Max, and it is about the, the Candy Montgomery story. This is like, you know, a, a lovely family woman, I believe in Texas, uh, who ended up, you know, murdering someone or a couple or whatever um with an axe so here's what like gets me this was announced last year with the duo from the act uh including nick antosca and it was right a universal content production ucp and then hulu ended up coming in and getting it and the series is called candy so now hbo max just does orders the same story yeah, maybe it has the rights to the Texas Monthly articles or whatever. Um, and, and Texas Monthly is a fantastic publication that has really done uh, a lot of interesting, you know, uh, page to screen adaptations, if you will. But uh, like I, I get how, you know, Armageddon and Deep Impact can happen and White House Down and Olympus has fallen and Volcano and Dante's Peak or whatever it is. But like, you just don't often see that in television? Now, I don't know which of these shows is actually going to go before the cameras first. Um, but I'll tell you, if I was Elizabeth Moss, who is a good actress? I would not want to follow, sorry, if I was Elizabeth Olsen, who's a good actress, I would not want to follow Elizabeth Moss, who I think is probably a great actress. Um, yeah, so, so you know, Elizabeth Olsen, I think that they got to hope to get that HBO Max show out first because if Hulu comes out first, you know, with Elizabeth Moss and, and the duo from The Act, which The Act I thought was better than Big Little Lies, better than The Undoing. Like, like they, I don't know. Like, they just had a certain, Nick Antosca has a certain darkness uh, that I think that David E. Kelly 
the creator of fucking Ally McBeal lacks. So yeah, my, my money is on is on Candy being the superior project here, but uh, you never know. Maybe maybe it'll be Love and Death. Maybe Candy never even gets made in the end. Tony Collette joined the Staircase this this week. Uh, that is the Colin Firth HBO Max true crime series based on you know the, the docu series that sort of was like basically the first major like true crime docu-series and I still haven't seen the staircase but it's something I've like been hearing about for 15 20 years it feels like they were way ahead of the curve on on all this stuff uh, so much stuff this week Adrian Brody and Alexander Skarsgård joining succession season three I don't watch the show so I, I can't be as excited as everybody else but that's some major firepower right there I mean, HBO just loves Alexander Skarsgård. Plus, you're getting an Oscar winner in Adrian Brody. We had a good time on uh, on the Collider Slack this week, revisiting this uh, photo shoot that that uh, Adrian Brody had done. Apparently, he built like a, a, a an old castle, or refurbished an old castle in upstate New York, and that he bought for like Elsa Pataki, uh, who then dumped him a few months later uh, to end up marrying Chris Hemsworth. Uh, and the photos from this spread are amazing. So I definitely uh, suggest that you track them down. I always liked Adrian Brody. Everybody was kind of shitting up, shitting on him in the slack. Uh, but I, I just love Darjeeling Limited. And, uh, and I'm excited to see Adrian Brody as Pat Riley in that Lakers show. So, uh, yeah, HBL. Going, going to bat for Adrian. Janine Garofalo, on the flip side, joining Billions over at Showtime. Another show that I don't watch. I mean, Billions in Succession. I mean, they're basically the same fucking show, aren't they? Uh, I, I, I've always liked Janine Garofalo and I could see her actually fitting right in on Billions. You know, she can do that sort of motor mouth talk. Uh, she's, yeah, I just, I like her. I like her kind of East Coast vibe and attitude. Uh, this one was interesting. NBC announced a new Law & Order show called Law & Order for the Defense. And I think this seems to me to be in response to, you know, the George Floyd murder and, and the Black Lives Matter stuff uh, of the past year and, you know, defund the police. Now, I'm not one of these defund the police people or all, one of these all cops are bastards thing. I think that's absurd. Okay. I, I just do. Like, I'm, I know that there's a ton of bad cops out there, but I, I know that there's even more good cops who, who signed up to become cops to make a difference and to help their communities. Uh, so I am not one of these people, but I also acknowledge that NBC ha and Dick Wolf had to do something, right? There's a lot of talk about, you know, how we depict policing on television. And, and Law and & Order is certainly one of those shows where, like, you know, the cops are the good guys. Um, and I've been watching SVU for, what is it now, 22 seasons? I, don't, I, don't, I, I can't even keep track. So Dick Wolf, over, you know, over the summer, sort of had two issues to work out with this franchise. The first is, how do we get Stabler back? And that, you know, they, they created Law & Order Organized Crime. And I thought, I think it's great. I really am liking the show. I love that it's a, you know, procedural in nature, or, you know, serialized uh, rather than episodic. It's not just Stabler trying to, you know, come up uh, to, to stop the crime of the week. Like there's an ongoing storyline. And that's a clever way of differentiating that show from SVU and all the Law & Order uh, incarnations that came before it. The other thing that Dick Wolf had to deal with is how do we, you know, acknowledge the, the murder of George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter movement, all that stuff, and sort of pivot the show away from uh, showing police in, in the best possible manner. Which is why For the Defense makes a ton of sense. Okay? And that's what this feels like. It does feel like a pivot away. Doesn't mean you're not going to have police, but I'm sure that this, this criminal defense firm I'm sure that they will be, you know, uh, defending plenty of actual criminals who, who did commit their crimes, right? But I also think that they'll be uh, doing a lot of, you know, defending a lot of innocent people who, you know, were framed by police or killed by police, you know, hurt by police, whatever it is. So I do think that you, you will see police come under fire more on that show certainly than they would, you know, on, on SVU or something like when, when a cop cuts a corner or something like that. Yeah. They get a, you know, a punishment, a slap on the wrist. Maybe there's some, some fear that the cop's going to lose their job, but by the end of the episode, everything is usually fine. Uh, here, I think it, you're going to see actual consequences 
uh, for for police who who abuse their their power. Um, and I don't know if it's going to work. You know, like we've seen a lot of Law and Order shows come and go. Wasn't there what, what Law and Order Los Angeles or Trial by Jury and you know, they've sort of tried uh, a lot of different things. Um, I, you know, it, it all comes down to having a good anchor, just like the Stabler show does in, in Chris Maloney. And the, but they, they gave him a worthy foe, too, in Dylan McDermott, who, you know, I think is really good on the show. <clears throat> so I think you need to find, you know, one or two partners for this criminal defense firm and, like, go out, go, go out and see if you can get some real fucking names. You know, that they don't have to sign on for the entire show. They could just sign on for season one and, and maybe then they get get, get uh, gunned down in the, in the season finale or something. But the guy who came to mind, the guy who really hasn't done anything in like four fucking years, right? Apparently he did a BBC show that was supposed to be air on stars that never even aired on stars, never even aired on fucking US TV. Uh, and, and his other show, Bastards, got, I think it was an Apple show. They, they said, we're not picking this up. Is Richard Gere. Richard Gere is so fucking good. This guy was a real movie star. Um, and he's just like, I don't know if it's his political views or the China, like, I don't, the Buddhist stuff, I don't know. But I always liked Richard Gere and I always loved Richard Gere in Primal Fear, in which he plays a defense attorney. So it would be very interesting to see Richard Gere come in and star in a Law and Order show. It's probably, a pipe dream. He's probably too big for that kind of thing. But then again, just did a fucking BBC show, right? Um, I just, I, I also, you know, he, he was like one of the three leads on that show. Like he just had to be, it sounded like he didn't like doing television. He didn't like uh, being on set for six months and, uh, and, uh, and just playing the same character for six months because like he could go and bang out three or four indies in that time. Um, so maybe he doesn't want to do that. But I also think that, you know, a, a network show like uh, like a Law and Order would probably be a much less demanding shoot than something like that BBC show that he had such a miserable time on. Uh, Conan ending in June. Conan O'Brien. You know, I haven't watched the show in years, but, uh, you know, when I was a, a teenager, I, I certainly watched a lot of Conan and gravitated towards Conan. He was like the young person's host. Uh, so, so I commend him on, on a hell of a run. I know he'll still do, you know, Conan without border specials and he's going to be working on some other stuff. Um, I think for HBO Max, you think he's got a show cooking over there, but uh, yeah, hell of a run. Hell of a run for Conan O'Brien from Brookline, I believe. Just a few minutes down the street. Uh, Disney Plus announced that Loki will debut on Wednesdays. Wednesdays in June. Um fine by me i mean they're gonna have a lot of shows this summer so maybe they're reserving that friday slot for somebody else maybe they felt like people weren't you know uh, so keen on staying in on friday nights you know now that the pandemic is subsiding a little bit people want to get out of their homes the weather's starting to get nicer like they don't want to hang in on a friday night and watch the new marvel show so uh yeah and, and wednesday's this doesn't seem like it's a, a juggernaut of television there's appointment viewing elsewhere I think that, that actually makes a lot of sense uh, for Loki, which is a show I'm definitely looking forward to. I actually always thought it looked like the best of those, that, that first wave of, of Marvel shows on Disney+. Plus. Uh, Keegan-Michael Key and Anya Taylor-Joy, the hyphenated ones, will be hosting the final episodes of Saturday Night Live this season. Uh, we have Elon Musk hosting on Saturday, this coming Saturday, which should be uh, appointment television, if nothing else. Um, but I, you know, it, it's nice that after they have this, this, uh, you know, billionaire douchebag in a sense, they have a real comedian with a background in sketch comedy like Keegan Michael Key, and then a real, you know, movie star who, who we haven't really seen do a ton of comedy, you know, Anya Taylor Joy. I definitely am, am eager to see how she acquits herself on the show. Grace Gummer joined Let the Right One In, uh, show over at Showtime. It's just, you know, a, a project I'm keeping an eye on, having been a fan of those uh, original movies. And then Lena Headey joining White House Plumbers, along with Domino Gleason. That's the HBO show, uh, you know, sort of about Watergate and whatnot, um, with Justin Theroux and Woody Harrelson. So, solid cast. Uh, but HBO, I like how HBO always does right by its talent. You know, Lena Headey, 
big star in Game of Thrones. I don't know what she's been up to since they bring her back for the show. Uh, this broke just before we started taping. Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy have set in a horror anthology series at Amazon. Amazon loves those horror anthologies. Um, I am actually excited to see what they do with them season two. I mean, that was pitched as a, as a horror anthology. So, you know, I don't know what the ratings ultimately were. I know my dad and his girlfriend watched the show, which I never would have guessed that they, that they would have. I don't think that they, that they liked it all that much. It kind of went off the rails there at the end, but you know, I'm, I'm down to check out a second season of, of them. Uh, Amazon also renewed Invincible for not one, but two more seasons. You could certainly tell that that show was growing. Like each week, it, it seemed like someone else on my Twitter feed was discovering it or giving it a chance. And uh, it, it grew on me. Like I said, I gave it like a B when I first reviewed it for Collider. I probably would have gone like B plus, A minus by the end of it. I, I really, like as soon as they were sending those screeners, I was like dropping everything to, to watch them. And I'm not a big animated guy, not a big superhero guy. So I think that is a testament to the fact that Amazon does have something special on its hands with Invincible. Uh, we saw an interview this week with Steven Soderbergh, who defended the ending of the Oscars, basically saying like, well, you know, if Chadwick Boseman, if there was even a chance that Chadwick Boseman was going to win, I felt like there was like that was the ending and there was no place else to go from there. So let's just end it there. I understand that thinking, but at the same time, I don't know. It's like, did, did you ever account for the possibility that he doesn't win? And then you just have you're then you're just stuck with a shit ending. And like, you have to nail, like that, that's what movie, like Soderbergh knows this. That's what movies are all about, are the endings. And so if you can't, if, there, if, you, if you want, if you're banking on one ending, but that ending isn't guaranteed and could become the worst ending like ever, then why not just switch with a different, little bit safer ending, like a best picture? I don't know. It was, uh, you know, I, I, like I appreciate what he was going for and the fact that he took a big swing, like I said, you know, after the ceremony, but it backfired. And, and I, I, I don't think that they should play that game again at all. Uh, I did want to plug my up and comer of the month interview. We did reveal it last Friday. I don't think that I, I gave it away on last week's podcast, but it ended up being Logan Polish from the Mosquito Coast. Um, I really like that Apple show. It's kind of like Ozark light a little bit. And it wasn't exactly what I was expecting. I never saw, I never seen the, the Mosquito Coast with uh, Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren. Um, I, you know, I think that the show is, is very different from, from the movie. In fact, it doesn't really, I feel like by the time the show ends, that's like almost where the movie began. So it's almost like a prologue of sorts. Um, but this actress, Logan Polish, who is the, the, uh, daughter of Mark Polish and niece of Michael Polish. So her aunt is Kate Bosworth. And, and, you know, she, she did a little bit of acting when she was a kid, but, you know, for the most part, ha hasn't really done much since. She really impressed me. I think that she has a look to her. Like she looks like a Mia Jovovich, but had the way she carries herself there's a certain intensity and intelligence that reminds me of like a Natalie Portman, uh, but she's very good on the show. Um, so check out the Mosquito Coast. And when you do keep an eye on Logan Polish and tell me, am I crazy? Or is this girl going to go on and have a, a very fruitful career in Hollywood if that's what she wants? Uh, we got some trailers this week. Halston really surprised me. I thought that looked really good. I'm not into fashion, uh, but I kind of like the whole like aesthetic of the trailer. Ewan McGregor is just always great. Like he's an underrated actor, if you can believe it. Uh, Gina Rodriguez, a new Netflix movie, Awake. Eh, you know, if, if they can get 50, 60 million people or whatever to watch fucking Outside the Wire with Anthony Mackie, which I still can't bring myself to watch, they could get 40, 50 million people watching this Awake movie with Gina Rodriguez. Why not? It also has an interesting premise where like all of a sudden there's like some global catastrophe and no one can sleep anymore. And you know, when you can't sleep, you start losing your fucking mind. And like, this could be the downfall of humanity. And Gina Rodriguez is on the run with her daughter who can sleep. So maybe they need to 
The government needs to get their hands on her and study her to figure out how they can get its population back to bed. Uh, we got a first look at Benedetta, a trailer for Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, Paul Verhoeven's new movie about a lesbian nun. It looks very Verhoeven. It looks like, frankly, all, all of these movies that we've seen about lesbians in the last few years, um, but set among nuns. We got a little teaser for Dexter, which is, I'm just so excited for this show to come back. This is, excuse me, my number one show of the year, um, along with American Crime Story, the, the impeachment uh, installment. Um, I even went back and, and started watching like old Dexter season recaps. Uh, like, I, I don't think I can do like a total rewatch of that show. It, it's, it, it's a lot. It's like seven seasons and you know, two or three of the seasons aren't that great, but uh, just doing like the YouTube season one recap, like eight minutes per season or whatever, like that, I, I may do that just to get me super amped for the return of Dexter. Uh, and we got a little teaser this morning for Stranger Things season four, which made it clear that, you know, Matthew Modine's Dr. Brenner is coming back and that we're also going to see the other 10 kids, at least, who are in this uh, nefarious program with 11, right? She's 11 because there were 10 kids before her. And maybe there were 10 kids after her. Maybe it goes as high as fucking 21. I don't know if 11 was the last one or not. But uh, I, I like the idea of exploring her, her origin stories, stories, so to speak. Um, and you've heard it here. I'm calling that room that's in that teaser trailer the Rainbow Room. I, I coined that. Remember that. People start calling it the Rainbow Room. It's me. Reviews, I don't even know what I saw that I, that I could review on the podcast. Um, without remorse, I think we talked about that last week, didn't we? I can't even keep it straight. I know Initiation was something I took off my embargo list. Initiation is a movie that really doesn't even involve an initiation whatsoever. So not a good title, but a decent little indie genre film from, I think it's John Berardo. Um, worth checking out. If you're a fan, you know, you're just looking for some horror content or, you know, before Spiral comes out next week, you could do worse than Initiation. Um, I swear, oh, I know what it was, yeah. It was Separation. That, that, that's the other new horror movie or whatever um, from William Brent Bell. Uh, I'm sorry. It was... It, it was bad. It's it's listed as the worst movie that I've seen this year. It's not the worst movie that I've seen this year since I've seen some movies that are under embargo. But uh, Separation, no. This was just a movie full of these jump scares and, peep and contortionists. They're the new horror stars, people who can contort their bodies, you know, backwards and forwards and, and can crawl around upside. It's just give me something else. And they try, they do try. Um, the problem is that Rupert Friend, who I thought was so good on Homeland, I thought he was terrible in this movie. And he got like a good notice from Variety or Hollywood Reporter. One of the, the, the trade critics was like, Rupert Friend is really good in this. Like, I thought, yeah, he, he, he just, he's not a movie star. Um, just like the Hitman movie that he did. He's just like fucking stiff as a board. I couldn't believe it, uh, how disappointed I was in that performance. Um, so you can skip that one for sure. Uh, I'll give you a little, a little taste that I heard from a source who's probably watching this podcast right now. We are hearing some terrible things about the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Um, this is a movie that underwent a director change like two weeks in. Uh, I think Fede Alvarez is, is one of the producers, although, you know, doesn't really matter. I, I don't think that that Hollywood knows what to do with, with Leatherface for this franchise. It also sounds like it was very, very like political, um, but not like woke in the way that you would expect it to be. It was almost like anti-woke, I heard it referred to as or something. I don't know until I see a teaser, uh, but it did not give me any confidence. Uh, there, were, there were no words of encouragement for this new iteration of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
Uh, I think we've probably reached our hour limit. Is there anything else on here? I didn't, um, guys, I need more mailbag questions. I'll tell you that. Send me some more mailbag questions and not just like, who would you like to see direct this? Like, I don't know, get deep with me. We're on the journey together. Um, all right, so I'm gonna, probably gonna wait another week on, on that, the, the comic book spoiler stuff that I wanted to talk about, uh, just to see if I get any clarification or you know, have a conversation with a certain studio, which I don't expect to, even though they said there would be one coming. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for that because I've just had enough. I'll give it, I'll give away the game. It's just like, fucking, come on. Andrew Garfield saying, oh, I didn't get a call. I didn't get a call. Josh Horowitz, I didn't get a call. I'm not in Spider-Man 3. Why is everybody freaking out? I didn't get a call. Andrew Garfield, I thought you were a better actor than that, bro. <laughs> Thou doth part protest a little too much. Uh, yeah, if Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire are not in the new Spider-Man movie, I will eat one of my fingers on my right hand, okay? Uh, that'll do it. <laughs> I think that's a good place to end the show. Uh, thank you for watching or listening to the Snyder Cut. As always, I am at the Insider on Twitter and Insider Plus for those taking the ride. I may also have another announcement coming out in the next few weeks, a big one about how you could maybe be the next Insider or a more successful reporter. Um, don't let me be your ceiling, please. Uh, but I am looking to give back to impart some wisdom to maybe even teach a little. So keep an eye out for that announcement. And until then, I'll see you guys next week on the Snyder Cut. Have a wonderful Friday. Later. Thursday. Good weekend. You know what I mean. Bye.